<laughs> I hesitate to use even this language, but I don't know about you, but I was lost there for a minute, just me and my God. And I don't know if this is for everyone or just for me, but I just I can't get away from this idea that God is bigger. He's bigger than your current expectation. He's bigger than your current dilemma. Our dreams, I don't even want to use this word. It's like our dreams aren't even worthy of him because he's so much bigger than what we're dreaming. And I just feel like this morning God would would just want to give us a chance to break out of the lid of our expectation of who he is and what he can do. We've been... We've been walking through First John, and if you're just jumping in with us, don't worry. You just hit right in the sweet spot. It's going to be good today. Don't worry. But we've been walking through First John, and there is just this picture throughout the book that John constantly wants us to understand that God lavishes his love on us, that it is greater and it is better than anything we could try to do on our own. Now, what's incredible... Just a moment, I, I'm going to pray, but, but I, I just, I, you may not know this, I, I lived in Oregon up until just a couple months ago, about 60 miles north of tragedy, okay? And, and, and I don't, here's what I know. I don't know all the facts. I know the reports, and I'm reading the same things that you guys are reading, and I'm praying, hopefully the same prayers that you guys are praying. But I know that there has been a pressure, just on the world, but on believers, who will you stand for? And what is better? And, I, you know, John, and when he finishes this book, and, and the next thing he's, he's going to write is Revelation. And that's on the other side of being uh, dipped in boiling oil for his faith because he won't recant. Because he knows that Jesus is better. He knows that what he's gained in Jesus is greater than anything else the world has. It's greater than my next breath. It's greater than my privilege to get to take my next breath. It's greater. He's greater. He's more. What you already have because of what he did is more than your dreams for what could be. You already have more. It's more. It's greater. It's now that's quite a feat in this era of time. And so he was the last living guy that we're certain of that spent time walking the earth with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew him. He knew what he looked like, what he smelt like, what he felt like. He knew who Jesus was. And it's coming towards the end of his life. It's probably about AD 80, somewhere between 60 and 80, we know. So it's about 30 plus years past the cross. And John is writing down this letter to the church. Now, he's not writing to a specific town or a specific community. He's writing what's more of like a homily or a sermon to go around to all these churches that have sprung up as people who never walked with Jesus are beginning to go on a journey with Jesus. It's the first generation of people who didn't know Jesus, who couldn't have high-fived him, who didn't eat one of the fish or one of the loaves, who weren't on the journey walking from town to town with him, who heard the way we heard because someone shared with them the awesome truth. Of Jesus, And they believed and they repented and they got baptized and the spirit showed up in their hearts and in their lives and transformed them. And now they're on this journey with Jesus. But at the same time, some things have crept in 
You see, what's begun to happen in John's time is not too dissimilar from what happens in our time, is you begin to see how Jesus is amazing. Jesus paid the price for our sin and our mistakes. I, why wouldn't I go ahead and have Jesus as part of my life? But does having Jesus as part of my life mean that anything else really has to change? And so what John is facing specifically are two, two types of systems of belief. And one of those systems of belief says that because Jesus... Uh, in their mind is perfect and holy. There's no way he could have had an actual body. He was just a spirit. And since he was just a spirit, my spirit is what connects with Jesus. And because my spirit connects with Jesus, what I can do is not really care about what my body does. Because my spirit connects with Jesus, everything else I do doesn't really matter. That's what's crept into this group of believers that John is talking to. And so time and time again, he's confronting these two, these two paradigms because two things happen. Either one, my body's like a party. I can just do whatever I want with it and nothing matters. Or two, I hate my body. I hate myself. I'm, I'm evil. I'm wicked. And I have this, like, this uh, self-loathing uh, uh, that creeps in. And, and there was a sense that, oh, I would just, you know, I'm just give up because there's nothing I can do here on the earth that matters anyway while I'm stuck in this body. So John is constantly writing to correct these two lines of thought. And today, he is going to take us back to the center of how God transforms us and changes us. And he does it through love. This morning, I called this passage calibrated. And I don't know about you, but, uh, but I don't like being lost. Do any of you guys get lost ever? Don't admit it. <laughs> right? I love having a device in my pocket. Even when I know where I'm going, oftentimes I'll just click it and say directions to home to make sure that I know where I'm going all the time because I don't like being lost. I'm not one of those guys who won't ask for directions as long as it's not a human that I have to embarrass myself with. I'll gladly ask Siri for directions all the time. And I love that you know my phone has a compass in it. I don't know if you ever used that before. And, and, and that compass, when I first turned it on, it needs me to like roll it around a little bit. And it does something. It says calibrating. And it determines direction. And it tells me where north is. And once it has north, I can usually figure everything else out. And so John this morning is trying to help us see that if we understand north, if we understand who God is, if we understand his love, then we can start to navigate all of the other things that life throws at us. I remember the first time I was really, really, truly lost. I was 15 years old, and I didn't camp or do outdoorsy stuff when I was growing up. I lived in the Bay Area. There was like no trees. It was like cement that we hosed off where I was at, right? We didn't have a lot of like nature around where I lived when I grew up, but I had some buddies that camped and one of my friends was a little bit older than me and his parents were insane and would let him just take the suburban and the boat at 17 years old and just go off in the woods and do things. And I was like, nice, can I go do that? So I'm pretty sure my parents were also insane and let me go do that with my friend Brian and my friend Jason and my friend Kevin. So remember, I'm not a camper. I haven't done anything out in the woods of any type, really. I don't know how. I don't have any survival skills whatsoever other than I'm probably tougher than three, all three of those guys. And so if someone's getting eaten, I'm not getting eaten first, right? That's about all I have in my repertoire as I go out into the woods with these guys at this time. 
So we get out in the woods and we drive out there and we bring none of the necessary supplies for, for survival. We bring raw meat. And that's like it. We didn't bring wood or a way to make a fire where we you're just like, we're cooked steaks out there. Yeah. And that's all we had, right? We didn't bring like what we needed to set up the tent. We didn't bring like, I think we had one pan that we could use and like that was it. We had no one who was an adult thinking through all the things. But we towed the boat and we brought our fishing poles. So we were like, this is going to be awesome. Oh, and we brought our guns. Uh, now by guns, I mean BB guns because that's all we had at that, at that time, right? So we get out in the woods, and we park, and we wander out, and we got BB guns. Are you kidding me? So we start playing the, you know, the one-pump game. You pump it one time, start running, right? And you, you nail somebody, and then he gets mad, so he pumps it two times. And then you start running further, right? And then you get mad, so you pump it three. And pretty soon, like, testosterone is kicked in, and welts are going, and you're just, like, running through the woods away from each other. And, and I mean, a couple hours of this have gone by, and then we hear... This is embarrassing. I'm 15, okay, right? I'm 15. Just go with me. I'm 15. We hear this noise, and it's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's a bell on a cow, okay? And we're like, wow, someone had let their their animals like graze in this area or whatever. And so, I shouldn't even admit this. Can we cut the podcast for a second? So I'm like, I bet I can ring that bell. I got my pellet gun, right? I bet I can ring that bell. And so, so I'm lining up to ring the bell. I won't tell you if I ring the bell or not. But then I see a deer. And I'm like, oh, I bet I can pepper a deer. I've never met a deer. I'm like a man. I could shoot a deer, right? I'm not going to hurt it. I just want to pepper it like I'm peppering my friends, right? And it takes off. So I take off running after it. I'm yelling at my buddies, come on. Three, four hours have gone by, and we've just been running through the woods indiscriminately. Pretty soon, we're we're together, but we're we're three or four hours into the woods. When we left, I'm in, like, cutoff jeans. You know, it's the 90s. I'm in cutoff jeans shorts and, you know, like a – a bright colored tank top, and <laughs> I'm ripped, you know, of course. Um, I have a full head of hair. Just give you the right picture, right? Yes, no. um, <laughs> but I've been running for three hours at least in the woods with these guys. We've got pellet guns, nothing else. And all of a sudden, one of them says, hey, do you know where we're at? Now, some of you early on in the story realized our dilemma. <laughs> one, we were not wise. Two, we had no skills and we couldn't survive. So we start looking around. We have no clue where we're at. We have no frame of reference, nothing. There's four of us. We have nothing. Not one of us has a water bottle. Not one of us knows what to do in an emergency. We're some city boys in the woods with pellet guns, and we are way lost. So one of us has the bright idea. I don't know who it was. Let's just go to the highest point, and then we can see where to go from there. So we start hiking. Another hour goes by, and we're hiking up this hill, and we get up to this really, really high point, and we stand on this rock. Now we are higher than all of the tree line, and all I can see is tree line. (laughs) Yes. So I won't say who broke first, but eventually some screaming happened from this rock. It went something like this. Hello? Is anybody out there? My buddy goes, echo, and we're like pounding him. It's not funny. You know, like, it's not the time to make a joke, and we're pounding on him. So we walk down this hill, and we just start walking. I'm like, just start walking downhill. That's all I know. Just keep going downhill, 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 downhill. And, I mean, now we're like six hours, seven hours in. It's dark, and we're hungry. We don't have water, and we've run hard, and we're just wandering, wandering. And I remember, I remember thinking, okay, Jesus. <laughs> So last, it's the only skill I have is I can pray. That's the only thing I have. So I tell my buddies, I'm like, listen, just sit down right here. We're not going to take another step until we pray. And they're like, ah, prayer's not going to get us out of the woods. I'm like, we're going to pray. 
That's all I got. <laughs> so we sit down in a circle. Well, not really a circle. We're men spread out, you know. Not kumbayash. We're not afraid, you know. But, uh, and I remember just praying, and I'm just like, God, we're going to die in the woods. This is pre-cell phone. Like, it's going to be a month before anybody finds us out here in the middle of nowhere. So if you can help us out with that, that would be awesome. And then we just sat there quietly looking at each other. It's like that, you know, the eye contact, like, I think I can take you. We're, you're going to be the food first, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's going through. And I can remember just through the tree canopy, we hear this. And we all perked up. That was a car. We got to be close to a road. And so we popped up, re-energized. We ran. I don't I think we ran like three more miles, and that that was just a a spiritual thing that we were able to hear it. I don't know how far we ran. We were exhausted. But we ended up on the road after a long, long, long journey, and uh, and then we had to leave our guns behind because we were trying to hitchhike, and we were afraid that no one would pick us up. No one did pick us up. We walked up the road. We were about another hour and a half before we finally were back at our campsite, and all we wanted to do was eat meat that we had no fire to cook. So we slept in the truck. And we, because uh, <laughs> we couldn't pitch a tent because it was dark and we had no light. And then we went fishing the next day and had all kinds of fun adventures. But I remember what it was like, the horrible feeling of being lost. Something changed in me when I was running and just free and wild and chasing whatever my heart desired. There wasn't a care in the world. There wasn't a concern in me except don't get nailed by the, you know, by the BB from my buddy because I think he's pumped it 10 times now. And that's definitely going to be in my body for my whole life. And so, so we were, I remember that. But something changed when I became aware when I became aware that all of this energy and all of this running wasn't getting me to any specific location. And here's John walking into this story of our lives saying, we run through our lives sometimes the same way, haphazardly chasing whatever fun thing shows up. Man, I can ring that bell. Ping. All right. Awesome. I could chase that pretty thing, that deer. I'll chase it out. I can do this. I can go here. I can make, man, I bet I can get over here. That would be awesome. And then all of a sudden in our lives, we're running after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing. And we come up from air for air and we go, where am I? How did I get here? How do I, how do I back out of this place that I found myself? I never meant it to go this far. And now look how far it's gone. And here's John walking us through. This incredible way that no matter where you are, you find a point of reference, and it's God and his incredible love for you. And it's like that, it's like that the emotional release I had when I heard the some car goes by and I went, wait, that's the voice I needed. That's the noise I needed. That's the sound. That's the calibration. Now I have a direction to run. All my problems haven't been solved, but I have a direction to run. I know a place to head. I know that there's hope. I know that if I move in this direction, that I can move out of the situation and the circumstance I found myself and towards freedom and hope and life. And John walks us through. How do we calibrate ourselves? What is our north. He says in First John chapter 4, verse 10, it's love. It's love. Now, love messes us up because we don't know what love is. And so we'll get there. What is love? No, we'll get there a little bit this morning. It's awesome 
oh, the other, the other component of that is we understand that when we don't have that direction, the result is what creeps in is fear. Right? The result of what creeps in is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of survival, fear because I care about me, and me is now what's at risk. Fear, it creeps in. So John's going to talk about this problem of fear and how love calibrates us. I'm in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. If you're asking why I start at verse 10, it's because I only got so many minutes. So we're going to jump in. <laughs> Right here, and I encourage you to read the whole thing and make sure I'm not just making it up as I go. First John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us. If you're an underliner, you should underline so right there in your Bible. Or if you're a highlighter on your app, you can highlight it. God, so it, it implies that there is a volume of love, right? He so loved us. First John says he so loves us. John three sixteen. for God what loved the world? So loved the world. It's a volume of love. It's exceptional. It's abundant. He, so, he didn't love you. He so loved you. That's awesome, guys, that God's love is in a volume that's so big that he wants us to understand it's not just love it's so love i got lost there verse 11 since god so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and his love is made complete in us problem is we don't understand god's love if we don't get god's love then it's hard to put this in context it sounds repetitive, redundant. Yeah, God's love. I got that. I've heard that. You know, God loves us. I got that. I got that. But we don't have a frame of reference for the depth and the fulfillment of God's incredible love, of his so love. So we diminish it. It becomes something like a Christian platitude. It sounds great on a T-shirt. It looks good on a bumper sticker. It sounds good from the pulpit. But what in the world is this kind of crazy love, the depth of this love is insane. It's spectacular. We can't understand. Here's our problem. We struggle. I'll say I struggle. But we struggle with wondering, what does God really think about us? And getting that correct. Here's why we get that incorrect all the time. Because you're going to know, you're going to know instinctively when I say this, this is wrong. But my challenge is, do you do this? Because I know it's wrong and I still do this. I feel like when I'm doing pretty good, when I'm managing my life pretty well, when I have like a win of a day, you know, I got up, I spent a little time with the Lord. I knocked some things off my list. My kids were out of control, but I didn't yell at them. You know, I held it together. I was kind to my wife. Like she said something and I paused the game and actually listened and engaged to what she was talking about. Right. And I, I hit the end. I hit my pillow and I'm like, Swell, God, we did good today, right? And I feel good about how I managed my day. So on some level, I feel like God is now happier with me because I managed my day well. See, we think God thinks about us the way we think about us. If I say it that way, you wouldn't agree. But when I said what I just said, you were like, yeah, I kind of feel that way. Let me give you the other side. You have a horrible day. You wake up. 
you're late and your attitude stunk as you were driving. What came out of you was ugly because you didn't get your coffee. Come on now. You got to work and there was a thing at work and it could have went a couple ways, but you, you know, you could have gone above and beyond, but you withdrew and you're like, oh, whatever. You kind of mailed it in and you got home and you were checked out. You were frustrated. And you get to, you get to the end of the night and your head hits the pillow and you don't feel particularly good about yourself. And on some level you think, man, I really let God down today. See, we think God thinks about us the way we think about us. So it affects the way we encounter and measure God's incredible love for us. Because we bottle it up at the same level that we understand our own love for us. Yet when I look at the Bible, when I look at the scriptures, and I see God so loving the world, that he sends his only son and allows him to go through the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, to carry the guilty plea so that I can be found innocent before I respond to his love, before I choose to love him back. Whether I choose to love him or not, he demonstrates his love. How dare I think that my actions could limit or even increase the depths of the love of the Father towards his creation? You see, we diminish this because we just hear love, 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 and it's like a, you know, like a 60s song. All we need is love, and we're just happy, and, you know, and, and no. How dare we diminish? John's like, you got to understand the depth of who God is and how much he loves you. Stop thinking that God only loves at the level that you know how to love, even yourself. Some of you just needed to hear only that. I could drop the mic, we could pray and leave, and you could be transformed from that truth. What's crazy is I look at the cross and I look at God's love and I realize something. I need his love. I need it. I know me. I know the me on the inside. I know the me that looks at this microphone in horror and thinks, how dare you walk up there and tell people about Jesus when you know you, right? Just like you know you. And you know the flaws in you. And sometimes we get to a place where we think, well, well, of course God loves Pastor Mike. You know, he's working for him and whatever. Like, seriously? It's ridiculous thinking. It's ridiculous. But how could he love me? No. Here's what God did when he poured out his love. He demonstrated clearly that I needed help. So I don't have to hide that fact anymore. I need help. He demonstrated clearly that you need help. If you could have done it on your own, he wouldn't have sent his son through that. You need help. No matter how long you've been journeying with Jesus, no matter if you've just walked in the door and you're still trying to figure these things out, or if you've been walking with Jesus for 180 years, whatever it is, you need help. You need his love. You need it. Matter of fact, you are in a desperate shape without it, and praise God, you never have to be in that situation again. I'm outed. I need his help. I need him a lot. 
we look at others and we miss sometimes we miss sometimes this understanding that they they need God's help. Doesn't it wouldn't it challenge us if we were to just be honest and think about the fact that everyone we encounter, if we look through the lens of man, this person really needs God's help. They really do. Wouldn't that change our hearts if we said, you know what? I really need God's help. There's a, uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote Narnia and all that good stuff. And He said, it is a profound thing to consider that every person you see, if you saw them in their future self, you might be tempted to worship them. Isn't that crazy? If I saw Jeff here a hundred years ahead of today, and I saw him in his heavenly self, and he showed up, I might accidentally hit my knees and think I was in the presence of God. It's just Jeff. That's who Jeff is right now. Can you imagine if I understood the love of God that way? If I understood who people were that way? If I understood that's who I was and that's who you were? Oh, but you know, all we need is love. No. No, love changes things. It outs my need and it outs my future and who I can be because of God. That's amazing. Let that go. Verse 13. Is that where I'm at? Yeah. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Man, did we just sing that or what? Woo! And we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. I love that Jesus wanted us to know that him walking on the earth. This is John writing this, right? He heard Jesus say, I'm leaving, but don't worry. It gets better because the Spirit's coming, and that's actually a better situation for you than if I was still here in the flesh. The future is brighter than the present. And that's when Jesus was here and talking to his disciples, and they couldn't get their minds around it because they had not yet experienced what the Holy Spirit could do. But John is writing and saying, the evidence that the love of God has changed your life is that the Spirit has come in and changed things and power has has happened and now you rely on the love that god has for us i'm going to skip ahead verse 16 and he says god is love now we mess this up all the time we like saying god is love that's awesome god is love but what we're at risk often of doing is flipping it around and saying well if god is love then the inverse must also be true love is god so all we need is love. Well, no, because we don't love like God. We don't know how to love like God. But God is love. Love is not God. So we turn on our TVs and we go through wrestling matches with believers and we feel like well all love is all we need it's like well yeah if you knew how to love like god then that would be all you need but your version of love is full of self and so it distorts what god 
is when God is love. And so you can't do it. God has to do that. So you can't just say, are you with me on that? Did I lose you? Okay, let's keep on going. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. This is all about us knowing that God has taken care of us on the day of judgment, uh, verse 17, because, now this just blew my mind this week, because in this world, we are like Jesus. Seriously? Thanks for setting the bar all high, John. That hurts. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. But didn't Jesus say, in this world, you'll do even greater things? Didn't Jesus kind of lead us to a place where he said, you're my disciples if you do what I command? Didn't Jesus kind of take us to a place that said, hey, you're going to be my ambassadors? What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is like the person or following the steps of or studying under the person of. And John's like, in this world, your job, because of the love you've received, is to go be like Jesus. And do what he did and love how he lived and care how he cared. We have an assignment while we're in this world to do that. Mm. We're like him. I don't know about you, but I just like kept skipping that as I was reading it going, I don't know if I can handle that. God. Like it'd be, uh, it'd, be, it'd be difficult to handle that. I'm going to skip ahead, verse, um, verse 18. There is no fear in love. It's about to get real. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I was wrestling with this idea of being calibrated. Verse 18 says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. You can cut that slide. and Just put it to verse 18. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. And I was thinking about this idea that if love is how I get my direction, then how I get off course is fear creeps in. And what is fear? I was wrestling with this idea of what is fear. And fear always has to do with myself. Fear always has to do with self-preservation. I might be in danger. What I want may not happen. I may get shortchanged somehow. Fear is the thing that takes us out of calibration because I'm worried about me. It's my job to take care of me. If I don't take care of me, who's going to take care of me? I might not get my next breath. I might not get that promotion. I might not get that thing I need. And all of a sudden, John says that there is a sense of fear that creeps in and it contaminates love. It contaminates it. The kind of love that God wants us to have, the perfect kind of love, he says it drives out fear. It pushes it out. So I was wrestling with this idea of how we distort love because we don't get love and perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment and we get all in knots about that. And so I'm going to take you over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a moment. We can pop this up on the screen if you want to follow me, but I'll read it for you. And Paul is talking to Timothy 
And, uh, and he's, he's telling him about church folks, about what's going to happen in the church over time and what to watch for so that he doesn't fall into this trap, okay? He's talking about church folks. He's talking about us, okay? He's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about people who don't care about faith. He's saying people who came out of the love that God gave them end up distorting it and moving in this direction. Second Timothy chapter three, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. He's painting a picture of the end. Verse two, this is where I wanted to catch you. People will be lovers of themselves. You see the difference between what John was just demonstrating there, what love really is, that love drives out fear because fear has to do with self. And Paul's saying what happens, what happens to even believers is they get contaminated with self and self-preservation. And instead of loving like God loves, they become lovers of themselves. Leave that up there for a second. I, I, I saw one person say that the reason that this passage starts with lovers of themselves is that a love of yourself is like the sewer pipe that the rest of this stuff that's about to come through comes through. So that's like the pipe. And I was like, that's really gross, but I can't get it out of my head, so I thought I'd share it with you, right? But people will be lovers of themselves. And he says, what does that kind of love do? It distorts love because people then become lovers of what? Money. Why do I love money? Because I need things for myself. Right? Not because money is just awesome. The pile of money is paper. But I want stuff for myself. And I'm worried I won't get everything that I want. So I love money because it helps me get things for myself. That's what he's saying. Boastful. Why am I boastful or proud? Because I love me. Some of you are like, oh, I don't really love myself. Get out of here. You love yourself. You do. You love talking about yourself. You love saying things about yourself. You love posting things about yourself. I saw this, this one study. It was just talking about how this generation is more narcissistic than any time in the world. We think every single one of us should have a page where we just share all about us. Like, that's awesome. You should do it. I do it. That's great. But are you kidding me? The narcissism, the self-love that's in us. Lovers boastful, proud, abusive. Why do I abuse others? Because they're in the way of me. Oh, let this one hit you in the gut. Disobedient to their parents. That's in the Bible. That in the last day, church folks are going to be disobedient to their parents. Just let that hit you in the feels for a second. Mm. You don't think that's true? Serve in our children's ministry for a week. <laughs> I'm just saying, no. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Most of you have a house for your car. Can you imagine on a global level the amount of blessing and provision that is in this room? comparatively, yet we find a way to be ungrateful? Are you serious? It contaminates us, this self-love. Unholy, oh. I remember, 
We used to talk about being holy a lot. We used to talk about that. I remember being at a youth conference, and there, there was a song, and uh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm close to, I'm going to walk away from Ryan before I butcher it. It was like, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. We used to sing that we wanted to be holy, that, that we longed for holiness. We don't even want to talk about holiness anymore. We're fine with saying we should all do something and get active and, and take action, and that's great. But don't push on my holiness button. Don't worry about what I let in my eyes and my ears and what comes out of my mouth. That's between me and Jesus. Oh, don't talk to me about that stuff. But we used to strive for holiness. Paul says in the last days, because we love ourselves, we won't want to talk about holiness anymore. We won't want to talk about abstaining from things that we could take advantage of. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see the direction that love takes? When we get uncalibrated to God's love, just a little bit, when fear creeps in that maybe we won't get the things we think we're entitled to, maybe we won't get the things that we want, maybe God won't take care of us the way we think we need to be taken care of. Do you see how there's a, you know, an easy visual, like we're going the same direction as God, and then some kind of fear for us creeps in, and it just takes us one degree away, and we just keep on going? you got a math teacher right here, right? You know what, that ha- what happens there, right? It just takes one degree That's why John says perfect love, it drives out fear. There's no fear in that love. There's no fear in a love that says, God, you have given me more than I could ever imagine. There is nothing else. My future has already been taken care of. That's why he says fear has to do with judgment. Because we're worried about our future. But you got to hear something judgment for those that trust jesus already occurred it occurred on the cross your past took care of his of your future his past what he did already dealt with that so you've already got more mm, more than you could ever imagine so don't let fear creep in it wants to take us a degree off. I'm going to have the, uh, the ushers, we're going to, I'm going to pass out to you something. It, it, listen, I, just, I like putting things in your hands and so that you have a, a way to remember this. But they're going to come around and they're just going to pass out those little bowls and it has a little compass in it. All right, can, can I grab one of those from Paul? I had one, but I lost it because they're small. Okay, it's, a, it's just a, a little compass. And I just want you to take it for a second. And in a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here because... John described that's how we get transformed. But I wanted to give you something. I'm pretty sure these work. Yeah, this one works. Awesome. That's north right there, right? And here's all I wanted you to have this for. And you can take it home. You can put it on your counter. I mean, you can, you know, you can glue it to something. I think that's what they're actually for. Like you glue them to your, like your big Bowie knife sheath or something manly like that. I don't know. But here's what I wanted to put this in your hand for. Because I wanted to give you a physical, tangible reminder. 
that God's love recalibrates us. It recalibrates us away from a self-love. It recalibrates us away from fear. It helps us to understand just who we really are. And when we understand the depth of a love that paid the price, he so loved us. It transforms us. It changes us. It helps us to understand that's who you really are. You don't have to be afraid. It changes the way we interact with people. That neighbor, come on now, that neighbor who does whatever that thing is that drives you crazy, you're already there. They need that love just as much as you need that love. Stop acting like you don't need that love. Don't get self-deluded. Those things that you think you're entitled to, whoo, Paul tells Timothy, don't get stuck in that trap. In the last days, love's going to be tempted to shift, and people are going to try to convince you to be a lover of yourself, not a lover of God. I love that he wraps it up by saying, you were a lover of pleasures rather than a lover of God. Oh, God, would you be the thing I take pleasure in? I was thinking how many times God has called me, the, the voice of God, the call of God has taken me away from something that I thought I really loved. A house, a job, a community, a relationship, whatever it is. Took me away from something that I thought, I thought that was the blessing of God. I thought that was the provision of God. This thing that I had, this relationship, this person in my life, this, this career, this whatever it is. I thought that was the provision of God. Yet the call of God or the circumstances of life take me away from that. And somehow I feel like I got shortchanged until I realize how could I ever be shortchanged? I am not, you cannot shortchange me. I have already received above and beyond exceedingly more than anything I could ever ask for or imagine. That's who God is. What he did for me already did all of that. It changes things. It changes things. I remember, I'm getting lost here, but I just remember the moment... It wasn't until I had kids that I, that I began to get this. And so if you uh, just track with me for a second. I remember thinking, because of how I was raised, that I was successful as a dad if I left certain things to my kids. Because I didn't get any of those things, right? And I was like, I'm going to be the, you know, I'm going to leave them something. And I remember the first time I had to give something up that I thought I was going to leave beyond in order to stay in God's will. And I remember the tension that it put in my heart. I remember the pain in my heart and my feels of, God, and, and, and I can tell you just clear as day, there was something in me that changed that said, you know what? The most important thing I could ever leave behind to my family, to my loved ones, is an understanding that you can hear from God and trust him. And the legacy that I leave is going to be greater than the stuff. It's going to be more valuable in the stuff your legacy the way you love is more than any of the stuff fighting for your heart it's bigger see it calibrates us it changes things right i was a few degrees off i wasn't too far off that was a good thing to think about but i was a few degrees off and then we get recalibrated no 
God is more. My kids knowing that dad hears from God and is just recklessly in love with God and will obey is bigger. It's more. It's more than anything else. Insert thing right here. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing this song and I'll come up and close it. But you got something in your hands. More than that, you've got something in your life. What legacy are you leaving? You, if you were to stick a thermometer in the things you love right now, what are the things that you love that are taking you degrees away from God, from his plan for your life? What are the things you're holding on to that are, that are there contaminating? The perfect love of God drives out fear. It drives out the self part. When's the last time that you worship God? I'm not being judgy here, okay? I'm just being honest. It's really easy to just kind of, yay, we love you, God. When's the last time when you were just honest and raw and said, God, you are better. Your spirit is welcome here. You can do more in my life than I ever, than anything else ever could fill. You could fill that spot. I'm just going to invite you. Just hold that compass just as a just as a just a physical reminder. And I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship and then I'll close this. God, thanks for calibrating us, calibrating us towards a love that is without condition, that loved us and paid the price for us so that judgment isn't even an issue. What's simply an issue is how we love and what we love. But in this world, we're like you. We want to love how you love We want to love the things you love. God, your word tells us that part of the evidence of that is that we welcome your spirit into our hearts because it changes us and transforms us. So as we lift our voice, we welcome you. Amen. You know, I I never want to just diminish the real and raw pain that comes when we start dealing with our heart on issues of things we love and things we need to surrender and trust God and I don't want to I don't want to diminish that or somehow callously blow over that thing but what I do want us to understand is God is better I want you to hear that God is better It's better. His plan is better. Eternity with him is better. Living for him is better. It's better. God, thanks. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for meeting us. God, I know it can be raw and it can be hard. It can hurt. There can be tears. But God, I want to be calibrated to your love the selfless love that you demonstrated. I don't ever want to assume that I don't need it or that I shouldn't give it. I want it to be enough. God, I pray your spirit would do what your spirit can do. It would invade hearts and lives and transform us. Help us to be more like you. God, I think about if if just some of us got a hold of this, it would change this church. It would begin to change our neighborhoods. It could change 
this community. It could change our school district. It could change it can change so much if we just began to love the way you love. If we saw ourselves for who we are. If in this world we were like you. If we loved like you. If we had compassion like you. If we stopped recalibrating our love to self and began pointing our love to you and to others the way you designed us to. It could literally change things. It will change things. Help us to grab a hold of it. I know... We want to oversimplify it, and it's not simple, but it's true, and it's good, because you're true, and you're good. We love you. God, when we start to slip, because we're going to slip, you already knew that. You already outed us as slippers, (laughs) that we were going to mess up. Help us to constantly recalibrate, to constantly come back. Thanks for giving us an advocate who goes in our place and takes the weight. We don't have to fear judgment for messing up. Judgment already happened. We can instead look ahead. It's better. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys all right? Can you give the Lord a hand today? I just feel like we need to tell him thanks. Yeah. He's worth it. Two easy things, and I'll let you go. One, the kids' meeting's happening afterwards upstairs, so if you're part of that, don't forget that. Also, if I haven't got a chance to get to know some of you who are who have been coming since the summer, please sign up and do that. We'd love to have you at the visitor's lunch next week. It's afterwards. We'll feed you. We want to make sure there's enough food for you there. And, hey, next week, John, First John chapter 5, promises and exciting things, when, and, and I promise I'll leave you up. I won't just hit you right in the fields, all right? God bless you. Would you high-five someone? Tell them it's good to see you. Tell them go Niners. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you guys will do whatever I say. I don't have that kind of power yet, huh? God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord.